You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to this week's episode of Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is hosted by me, Joe Hakeem, and I'm joined by Nick Britsky of Nick Drinks, Jason Leinert of the Detroit Optimist Society, and Vato of the Hungry Dudes. We are joined each episode by workers, leaders, and analysts of the hospitality industry. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you like or dislike what you hear, write a review. We love hearing from our listeners. You can visit Herd at HerdPodcast.com, follow Herd on Twitter and Instagram at Herd Podcast, and like Herd Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and now here's this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 100 of Herd. Whoa. It's quite a round of applause there. Got wow. a lot of people in the studio. <laughs> uh, pretty amazing. Nick's trying. There it goes. I was going to shoot it, but I, I was nervous about lighting. <laughs> yeah, let's not break anything here. So Nick brought some champagne. No, 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 uh, no, 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 no. Or no, some sparkling American wine. sparkling, yeah. American sparkling. I, I, I don't like you that was, much. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's been a it's been a fun ride so far 100 episodes how we do how we get to 100 um, we're three years in now right yeah about three years in it's pretty crazy talk to a lot of people a lot of people more than 100 because we've had multiple guests on some episodes yep so you know maybe a couple hundred more who knows yeah we'll see <laughs> not for you nick no no nick this is nick's uh I made it to 100. I think that's my my limit. Yeah. So at least for the interim, I'm going to take a little break. <laughs> yeah. In all honesty, Nick, Nick doesn't uh, doesn't like me anymore. I really don't. <laughs> Ever since he changed the intro, I've I've been really mad at you. It's 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 shown. It's it's come, come out, and, and now now he's just can't take it anymore. He's leaving. So we have a guest with us as per usual. April Anderson, the co-owner of Good Cakes and Bakes in Detroit, is joining us. April, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Um, can we talk about the amazing cupcakes she made us? These are fantastic. Well, well it's all sorts of stuff. Yeah, Sorry. yeah. Let, let's just talk about this assortment of cakes because I, when we talked before the show, I, I said, bring whatever you'd like. Just do something for the hundredth episode, right? I figured you'd bring a cupcake or two, or maybe like a little. Box brownies. That's what I was expecting. <laughs> Box brownies. <laughs> but no, she, she went all out. So there, there's what like at least a dozen, a dozen things here, like all varieties of things. This is incredible. There are garnishes. There is font. Like, tell us what's happening in here. So I wanted to make sure that I brought y'all some of our best sellers, uh, which is our gooey butter cake. Uh, we made that for Oprah Winfrey. Our brownies. We made that for Bill Clinton. So we have strawberry gooey butter cake, lemon gooey butter cake. We have um, brownies with walnuts. We have an oatmeal cream pie like the Little Debbie's. Um, and we have a chocolate salted caramel, a banana pudding cupcake, red velvet, which is one of our best sellers, and a strawberry crunch. Now, next celebrity you go to, um, when you talk about your resume, are you going to say, I went to Oprah, I went to Bill Clinton, and I went to her? I went to her. Perfect. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. That's great. So, Okay. I've 
admittedly never had gooey butter cake. Yes. Let's talk. Let's start there. Let's talk about what is gooey butter well, cake. Well, have we said that they're vegan too, right? No. These are not vegan. <laughs> thing, some some things are vegan. Some things are vegan. Okay, got the brownies okay. are vegan. Okay, perfect. Okay. But yeah. So we do we do we do like twelve vegan items at the bakery and oh, okay. everything everything else is just organic. Got it. Yes. Everything's organic. Everything's organic or natural. That's fantastic. Yes. Okay. So gooey butter cake, that is really a St. Louis staple item. We're very greedy and we saw it on television on Food Network and we thought we gotta try it. So me, Michelle, which is my wife, and my niece, we drove to St. Louis so we could try it. We took one weekend, we drove to St. Louis, we tried it, loved it, came home. I was like, we, we was ordering it offline. It was like $80. I was like, I got to learn how to make this. It's way too expensive. It took me two years of practicing wow. recipes to figure it out, how to make it from scratch. To figure out the version you had in St. Yes. Louis. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, could, Nick, can you hand me a piece, please? I, want, I really want to try this. Which so, one's the butter or the gooey cake? So, for me, it's lemon, but for customers and everyone else, is strawberries. But, but I, we have looking? both there? We have both there. Uh, hey, can you give me the lemon one? Is that this? Yeah, that's that's got to be it right okay. there. Yep. Are those okay, whoopie so, pies in there too? That is the oatmeal cream pie, like the you know, like the little Debbie oatmeal cream yeah, pie. Yeah, yeah, as a yeah. kid, yeah, we did it with just a little bit of rum in it. Wow, of course. <laughs> oh wow, you're speechless. No, no, it's incredibly dense. Um, it's like so, a like a white brownie almost, or. Well, it's it's lemon, so it's like this lemon curd or no? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how to explain. So oh my explain. gosh, it's so oh, hard to explain. That's delicious. Um, so there, there's like this incredible, incredible density, right? Mm-hmm. And there's this crunch that on the top and the bottom to some mm-hmm. extent, and, and the, the bottom, bottom mm-hmm. yeah. So I mean, the density is like dense. Yeah, this like, is like oh god, how would you? That's why it's called goo. I mean, it's gooey. That's exactly what it is. It's it's like a kind of like like a. Maybe a slightly underbaked brownie hmm. with the crunch on the top and the bottom. So it's like this sandwich. And I mean, it, it's like, I hate using the word moist, but it's incredibly moist. And you have the rum in there and you have the powdered sugar on top. I mean, it's like no, all sorts of textures. But no rum in this one. No, there, that's an oatmeal cream pie. Yes, yeah, do it. I, I'm he not good at my rum. I was just really excited about <laughs> he rum. Went rum. He went rum. <laughs> so, butter cake. Mm-hmm. How much butter is in this cake? Wow. So let's see. In a gooey butter cake, there is maybe like a pound and a half of butter. Okay. And how big are they? So we have a square that's roughly inch and a half by so inch and a half. So four of those squares makes what we sell. So that what oh, you God. see in there. So is, there's easily two, three tablespoons of butter in here. Um, easily. Okay. Um, so easily, <laughs> if not more. <laughs> um, so there's this um, a pound. Um, yeah, there's a lot of butter in there. <laughs> there is like a pound of cream cheese. Two pounds of powdered sugar and maybe another pound of butter. Wow, is what makes that up. per three inch square. Um, no, no, <laughs> no. Per, per, so a pan makes fifteen squares. Oh, so okay. but okay, but if we want to do a calorie count, each square, <laughs> each, which is three by three, which is like a four by four, four by four, yeah, better. We're getting by, better. Okay, yeah, <laughs> a four by four. Okay, it is um, twelve hundred and twenty five calories. I could deal with that. For one square? Well, what I'm eating right now is a quarter of that. Right. So that's about 350 calories. Perfect. I can deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yes. That's incredible. That's like I'm running for a marathon. Okay. So you said it took you two years to figure out the recipe. Yes. 
How many of these cakes mm. did you oh, wow. eat in that? T- like, you had to keep tasting them, we right? Yeah, it, it was like maybe like once or twice a month we would make it. So just think <laughs> about this. And I was like, yeah, this texture, nope, it's a little too dense. Nope, it's not dense enough. It's not sweet enough. Oh, it's not crunchy enough. It was like, so then I downloaded the episode on my phone. I'd be like, okay, that looks like a cup and a half of powdered like sugar. Play by play. Yes, like <laughs> a cup and a half of powdered sugar that looks like baking powder. And, and we just kept doing it. And then, you know, you look online and all the recipes online were like, use a cake mixer. At the bottom. I don't use cake mix. I was like, I gotta figure this out. Finally figured it out, and we was like, oh my god, this is it right here. Mm-hmm. And but I don't eat it anymore. Well, I ate it so much, I don't even <laughs> eat it no more. Like I could eat half of what you have in that square and be good for a year. But I, especially after you've done all that R and D, yes. you're probably like, I've got my full. Thank you so much. And you want to move on because I think you you get burned out. Yeah. I mean, you're probably the same way. You're you're constantly experimenting with doing pies and oh, stuff. Oh yeah. So, but we we yeah, and we we test things every day. Um, but a bite. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I will have a bite of meat pie, a bite of pork pie, a bite of macaroni and cheese pie. I, I've tasted them enough to know that if it's the first bite's good, it's going to be fine. Yeah. Um, you're, you're probably good at smell and looks too, probably. Yeah. yeah and I'm sure you are mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I, I mean, you we we can tell for you know if that doesn't smell right, like. It's not it's yeah, probably not right. It's not gonna taste right. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So you you have quite a educational pedigree behind you. So you ha- you have a bachelor of science from Spelman College in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So are you from Atlanta originally? No, born no. And raised in Detroit. Born and raised in Detroit. Okay. Detroit Public School graduate. Detroit Public School. Okay. So then you have an MBA from the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about. Well, no, 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 no. Keep listing. Keep because listing. I feel like there's okay. like it's like a mile long. Okay, so then home baking. You started yeah. a home baking business in two thousand eight. Yes. Then you went to in two thousand ten. You went to Macomb Community College to get an associates in pastry arts. Right. And then um, in two thousand thirteen, you're a graduate of the D High Build class. Correct. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's. That's amazing. First Thank off, you. bachelor of science and the MBA. How does this lead to baking? So that doesn't lead to baking. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. So so okay so. A little bit further than so I had I had a son in high school, so when I was growing up, there were no like celebrity chefs, there was no Food Network channel, so baking would be considered like working at McDonald's. You can't take care of a child like that. My mother was like, "No, that's not going to work. You need to find something that's going to be able to take care of your son because I'm not going to take care of him forever." So accounting is what I, I love math, so accounting is what I did. So I went to school for accounting and I worked in finance. Um, I worked for Chrysler Financial until they were brought by GM, and then Ally Bank took over. Um, but then in 2010, 2009, I was reading a magazine about, it was talking about cake decorating classes at craft stores. And I was like, what the hell is a craft store? <laughs> <laughs> so I Googled it. It was like Michael's is a craft store. So I went to Michael's to take the class. And it was a wilting baking class. And it was like four sessions. And so you had to bake a cake. on My class was on Monday. I baked a cake on Sunday. After work, I went to the class. And to be honest, these are really traps to get you to buy all the gear. Exactly. Because that's what you Michael do. Because Michael sells the gear. Exactly. And mm-hmm. you do what you buy. I have, like you, I have yep. a, tackle, a tackle box full of tips, tip bags, different mm-hmm. types mm-hmm. of fondants, all type of crazy stuff. And it was like in the sixth class, I realized that I don't like the cake decorating. I like the baking. The baking of cake on Sunday for the class on Monday. So that's when I decided, like, I want to go, I want to learn how to bake a cake without using a cake mix. Because at the time, I was using everything I was baking with was a cake mix, except for pound cakes. So I was like, I want to bake without that. So then that's when I started looking into going to learning baking. And I intent- and initially was going to go to Schoolcraft because that's what you hear is the best right. pastry program is at Schoolcraft. But it is a certificate program only. 
You can only get a degree if you do the whole culinary program. Didn't want to do the whole culinary. I just want to bake. That's it. <laughs> just want to bake. And so I was like, at first I was like, well, I'll still do that program for the baking. And I went to talk to someone. They was like, oh, you got to wait a whole year before you can start because you have to take the serve safe class first. And we only offer it once a year. So maybe you can take it someplace else and then come. So when I started looking into other places to take it, I found Macomb. Was like, they have a whole culinary degree program. I'm like, I mean, pastry program. I'm like, why am I going to go to Schoolcraft when I can go here and get a degree? So that's what I did. Went to Macomb. Um, so the obviously the, you go you go study pastry arts. Then the, what is this Dehive uh, build class that? So, so kind of explain that. Yeah. So build is there. At the time, it was connected with the Dehive program, and they are a small business incubator. So they okay. help you with your business plan, um, help you with different type of resources. And so a friend of mine had took the class, and she was like, oh, this class was so good. So I looked into it, and I signed up for it. And that's and even though I have an MBA, right, you would think, like, you don't need a small business class to, you know, to learn how to write a business plan. But it's a different type of business plan that you're writing when you're writing a small business plan opposed to going to school to get a degree in MBA. Uh, MBA. It's teaching you how to work for corporations, not really teach you how to write a business plan. And so I took the class because I really wanted to be able to express what made me different People be like, oh, what you do? I'd be like, oh, I want to bake. But what makes you different? It's a billion bakers here. What makes you different? And it was hard for me to articulate that. Mm-hmm. And so going, taking the build class helped me to articulate what made us different, what made us different than every other bakery that was in here opening up. And what a great experiment because then that's setting you up to be like, oh, I just want to bake because I want to bake. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, you, you have the same bakery as everyone else around here. You basically made your identity right. because someone told you like, hey – how do you market yourself? Exactly. Stuff like that. How, how are you going to tell people? What's, what's going to make people want to come to you opposed to going to every other bakery yeah. that is in Detroit right now? So what makes you different? We're organic. We're <laughs> all natural. And we bake from scratching with love. That's what makes <laughs> us different. <laughs> so the, taking the, the stance of being organic, there, there's a cost involved in that. Big cost. <laughs> so w- why organic? So there's a long, long story to that. So when I met Michelle, who is my wife now, we're uh-huh. married. Um, she was all organic, everything. And me and my son was nothing about organic. We were people who drunk just plain homogenized milk, ate chicken wings that we used to get at GFS and fry, ate cereal. That was our life. Michelle comes along with this organic milk, this organic vegetables. My son is like, what the heck is this in this refrigerator? <laughs> and so then she got to explain it to us. And as she was explaining, I have a niece at the time who was like eight or nine years old. She's like, this is the reason why Danielle is developing so fast is because all the antibiotics and hormones is inside of the, the the ingredients. And so then I was like, okay, maybe I'll start baking with less stuff. I'll start using sort of organic stuff because I was baking for my nieces then. And so that's what made us start at first was because of that. And then it became like, I want stuff to taste like it tastes what my grandmother used to cook. And it didn't have all those preservatives in it, right? It didn't have all those antibiotics in the milk and in the eggs and stuff. So that was the reason why. And then it, that was also... It was it was what's going to make us stand out, make us different. Because at the time, there was no one who was baking everything organic. You have bakeries who use organic flour like Avalon, but no one's baking 100% organic. You're 100% organic? Uh-huh. Yes. Wow, that's even mm-hmm. more impressive. Okay, so with your finance background, you have your you know, ingredient cost, profit and loss, and mm-hmm. all this, you know, the, the, these, these, uh, the finance side of it you got, right? When you... First, look at this and you say, okay, this, this is the path we're going to go down. How do you work that cost? How, how do you work that all out? 
So it was it was it was difficult at first because so two things is is that not only are we organic, but as we build our business plan, we like we want to pay our employees fifteen thousand dollars as we hire them. So now we have to think about not only do we have and we still because at the time we opened there were not a lot of we couldn't buy a lot of organic stuff in bulk. It was we were still going to like Myers, um, Western Market, Westbourne, you know, getting paying seven dollars a pound of butter. You you were you weren't paying wholesale prices. No, it took us two and a half years before we was able to buy wholesale prices. Wait, okay, so I, I have to roll back <laughs> on that because you know we're, we're not an organic bakery at, at Ackroyd's, but um, we. Paying those kinds of prices and, and remaining in business—you said for two years, almost two years—we we did that. Yes. How? It, it it was it was it was crazy. It was hard. So there. So of course you go into business and you know like you're not going to make a profit to begin off with, right? Right. Um. And so that's how it was. It was like, well, we're not making a profit, but we're not losing. Um. Our cost was high because again we started off baking out of a shared kitchen, so I was we was paying two rents for fifteen months. So we pay rent to be in a shared kitchen as well as rent to be in our retail space, right? Um, and so everything that we baked, we had to bake what we thought we were going to sell and take it over to the retail space. And if it didn't sell, we had to throw it out. It was it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> so luckily for us, I have we had I have a very very supportive mother and father who basically bankrolled us for two years. Wow. Who literally was like, okay, I know you're not making the money, and here's a little money. Do what you got to do. At the time, it was just me and my mother working a bakery. We had no employees. We didn't have employees for 18 months. For 18 months, it was just me and my mother because we couldn't afford employees. Right. We could not. We were barely covering the cost to keep the lights on. And now you're profitable? Yes, we're profitable. All right. Let's give a cheers to that. Yes. Congratulations. Yes. Cheers. cheers. Um, and you have an employee, or is it just your own? No, we have six employees. Boom! Yeah, six employees. Wow. So, okay, so you said you were working out of a shared kitchen before. You have mm-hmm. your own kitchen now. Yes, we bake okay. at, at the bakery, so, and the, so that's on Livernoy. Mm-hmm. Okay, on the Avenue of Fashion. Yes, Avenue of Fashion. Okay. So, I think you're the first guest we've had who has a business on the Avenue of Fashion. Let's talk about that for a second. Okay. What is the Avenue of Fashion? So, the Avenue of Fashion is it's, it has not been deemed historical, but it's historical to Detroiters, right? Because that was the place where people would come to shop. That's where all the high-end boutiques was at. People lived in Bloomfield, Birmingham. They they drove to Detroit to, Detroit to the Avenue of Fashion to shop. You had a B. Spiegel's. You had all of the shoemakers was up there. That was before there were malls. So before the mm-hmm. Northland was the first mall in, in the United States, right? So before there was Northland, people shopped on the Avenue of Fashion. Um, and then when the mall started opening, then but people stopped shopping there because the malls was something new and interesting where I can go and I can get 50, yeah. right, 50, 60 different stores in this one place inside. I want to go there. And because they did that, the the um, department stores and the boutiques on Livernois started closing down. And then also, most of the celebrities who lived over there, like Marvin Gaye, Diana Ross, all of them shopped there at that point. Then they all started moving to the West Coast, right? Uh... So no, you no longer had people over there who could afford that. Um, and so they start closing down. And then when they closed down, you had all that vacant space over there. Those buildings, the commercial space was vacant for over 25 years. You had a couple hair salons. Um, let's see. When we opened, they had one restaurant, um, 1917 American Bistro, had been open for like four years by that time. They was the first ones who ventured over there to open up. Um, and then when we opened up over there, there was still nothing over there. 
all of our traffic came from us. There was no walkable traffic over there. Wow. Yeah. So so now that now that area is is kind of being built up, right? Yes. So there's Cuzzo's over Cuzzo's, there. Cuzzo's, yes. Uh is the Bucharest, Bucharest over there? Is over there. You have uh, Motor City Brewer coming across the street from us. Um, you have a Japanese hibachi bar coming directly across the street from us. Um, you have clothing stores that's opened over there. You have a coffee shop down the street from there. Well, you have two now because you have Nero Way and then you have um, Big B's at the other end, mm-hmm. at the other, right on the other side of Seven Mile. Yeah, you have a bunch of stuff over there. And this all has happened after you. Yeah. And you opened when? 2013. 2000. So that's a pretty huge, it's, you know, yeah. six years. Oh, definitely. That's a, that's a huge growth. Yeah. And that can only help you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. When Cousins opened, it really helped because it brought a different type of different type of crowd over there. Um, so it was a lot more walkable traffic coming over there. Um, and so that really helped to help the avenue was having cousins over there. And then it became interesting for other people to come over there. Um, and with that, so there's always a plus and a minus of things, right? So when we first came over there, the plus was rent was very cheap because mm-hmm. nobody was over there. The space we're in, no one was in for six years. It was vacant for six years. And did you sign a lease? Yes, of course we signed a lease. Okay. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course we signed a lease. Um, and when we first signed our lease, our lease was great. Um, we were paying, I think, $1.92 a square foot. <laughs> Yes. Wow. <laughs> $1.92. <laughs> it's how much we was paying for to be there. Um, and it was a three-year lease. Um, and then we renewed it after three years. And because I'm such a great negotiator, um, we negotiated. We only went up $300 for wow. our rent. And then we negotiated an additional three years. So we did a six-year lease this time um, where it could only go up $500 in the six years. Right. Yeah. So. Hmm. So do you, do you do any uh, – is this the storefront your only storefront or do you yep. get plans for a second one? Yeah, we're building out. We're about to start building out a second location in New Center area. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then what about online sales? Do you guys do any online so sales? So we do online. We do delivery, which is crazy, 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 <laughs> crazy. Um, I'm the delivery person, so I deliver <laughs> all day. And it's so funny because people are like, why don't y'all open up downtown? And so at first I was like, maybe we should, but it's more lucrative to us to have people order online from downtown mm-hmm. because all day I'm delivering downtown, people might order two cupcakes. They have to pay twelve fifty for me to deliver. So basically they're paying nine dollars a cupcake. Why do I want to be downtown? <laughs> for the two dollars. <laughs> for three dollars. I mean yeah, right? three dollars down there and I get nine dollars to bring it to you. No, why would I want to go down there? I like I like I like the I like the profit margin right now. It's not gonna be a dollar ninety two a square foot. No. <laughs> no. And you gotta probably have to sign up for some of your your life your life to be down there. So as we get more kind of national people coming in, I'm thinking about like H and M. Yes. Do we is that good for the community? Is that bad? Is that either way? I think it's a plus and a minus. Okay. So there's a plus because we get we're getting national mm-hmm. retailers to be interested in coming to Detroit, which wasn't happening five, seven years ago, right? But then it's also a bad thing because now as more national brands come downtown, more small business mm-hmm. won't be able to come downtown. Because the more a- attractive downtown looks to national brands, the more expensive downtown gets. So that's not welcoming to small business. And if it is a small business that gets down there, they're paying um, astronomical pricing, which eventually will give them two years, three years, and they're out of their space. 
So it's helpful to the community, but it's not helpful to small business owners sure. who want to be downtown in that area. Well, and there's the other point that, you know, when Rachel Lutz was on um, back at the end of uh, mm-hmm. 2018, she talked about the idea of disposable well, uh, I mean, fashion. H- and, H&M is a terrible example well, because right. of stuff like <laughs> but, that. But, but they're a good example because they are they are going to they are coming in. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and to compare them to someone like Rachel. Right. Right. Um, it, well, Rachel at Peacock Room is charging more for fashion. That's, yep. you know, special, not even special occasion, just like. Buy less, wear it more. Right, yes. But that's what people want, though. Like, she would be as large as H&M if that many people wanted to buy high-end, I totally you know, agree more with expensive yep. fashion. So, like, for many people, uh, myself included, living in the city, that's a godsend to have something there that is quick and easy. And whether it's like, man, you can even buy underwear and socks at H&M. Yep. Quick, easy. It's downtown. There's, like, a cachet around it, like, you go to Chicago, there's an H&M. You go to New York, there's an H&M. Like, mm-hmm. These things exist um, to some extent for a reason in those places. Yeah. You know, so but, I definitely – yeah, to focus fine. on the positive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it, but it makes – so Detroit for all this time has had its own culture, its own, own sauce, right? And so it's it's not it, – it's, it's very saddening to see it become like every other uh, metropolitan city. I don't want uh, H&M downtown. Do you want a Sprinkles downtown? Uh, no, I don't want to sprinkle that time. <laughs> but the thing is, it's so wonderful to have competition like that. Mm-hmm. So sprinkles could come downtown. It would just what it would do is it would just make people really appreciate good cakes and bakes. Sure, it would make them appreciate the greatness the good cakes and bakes <laughs> offer. Just saying. But sometimes I, I also think about like the Henry the Hatter example, mm-hmm. who there is a lot of you know furor over the displacement of a business, but it seems like you know six months later. Um, they were doing better than ever, and that was seemed to be a positive move yeah. for them. So they maintained that cultural element. Mm-hmm. I feel like, and without you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and that obviously doesn't happen all the time, but right. at least there's some hope. Yeah, that, definitely. You know, they definitely have benefited from being in Eastern Market area. Um, they 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 are um, able to be exposed to a different crowd that might not came downtown in that area where they were at downtown because they wasn't like directly downtown right they were on broadway yeah. off on the side street that you had to you had to intentionally be going to right being in eastern market you just you're just going to see them because you have to walk you have to find some place to park and you have to walk so they they are exposed to way more people being in eastern market than i think they was downtown so that was definitely a plus for them to be there what kind of stuff are you doing in in your neighborhood to kind of like give back. Yeah. So we, we definitely give back by, so two things. We are community space. So we allow our space to be used by the community for events, for uh, fundraisers, for community meetings. Um, a lot of people who live over there work from home. So they use our space to come in to meet their clients, to have meetings there. We don't require people to purchase anything to be there. There's no time limit on how you can be long. You can be there. We're UPS access point. Um, as well as we hire from our community, as we hire from our community and we hire reentering citizens. Those are the people who get priority when it comes to hiring at the bakery. Um, so one of the things I noticed, uh, I was going through your Instagram account, is that you were you, one of your posts said something about it being very cold out and you're welcome. We have everything yep. <laughs> you need to come. Now, as a business owner, I was like, oh, it's trying to make a sale. But the the other side of it is, and, and I read into it, was that 
anybody can just stop it. Yeah. You have everything you need, meaning like there's warmth. There's warmth. There's food. We have there's there's a there's a couple homeless people to live in our, who live over in that area who knows when it's cold outside. Even when it's not cold, summertime they can come in there. They know they're welcome to sit in there all day. They're not gonna be harassed to leave. They're not gonna be bothered by anybody. Customers come in, they know them, they talk to them, they know they're gonna get something warm to eat, they're gonna get something sweet, and it's not gonna cost them a thing to be there. Yeah. So that's that's something that we do every day. Um, and we posted that that was because there might be people at, who live at home who don't have heat. And it was a very it was very cold. You know, you don't have to sit in the house. You can walk them to come around here to the bakery. We're open. Even though we knew we weren't going to get a bunch of customers, I still got up each day coming. People say, well, you're going to open. Well, we might not have no customers, but we might have people who might want to utilize the place, the space to stay warm. And people did. People came in as well as we had great customers who cash after us money to pay for people's meals. I was like, what? They were, they were like sending money to like cover the cost for people to come in and get soup and stuff because we sell soup as well. When you So was this part of your vision before you opened or was this something that kind of happened as you progressed into the no, space? this is something that was part of our plan. We opened to be a third place. We knew when we opened, we wanted to be a third place. So if you come into the bakery, you'll notice that our baking area is smaller than this room that we're in right now. But it's our, our space is 2,300 square feet. So this room is like 12 by 14, 15. Yes. So I think our baking areas might be 7 by 10. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, it's very small. Wow. Very, very small. But we knew we wanted the space to be more about seating than the baking part of it. It's but, crazy. Yeah. Because we have seating. You can 70, 72 people can sit down in there. It's huge. Yeah. But you make your money from the baking part of it. So how do you how do you balance that? So – it works out. It works itself out. And so we're triple bottom line. So profit is last for us. People plan it and then profit is, is how our business model works. Uh-huh. So that's the last thing. So, of course, we're, we're, we're our for-profit business, right? So we are about profit. But that's not, the, that's not the first thing that we think about. The intention of our bakery was to be community, was to be welcome to everybody. So the profit part comes last. But we, we are profitable. Um, it works itself out. So talk about triple bottom line for a second, because that's, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, episode 100 is the first time it's come up. So what oh. does that mean? So triple bottom line means that we are concerned about the people, the community that we serve. We're we're um, concerned about the planet, making sure that we le- we're leaving as a person and as a business. Our carbon footprint is very limited. So we use recycle. Um, we recycle. We use um, compostable products. Um, everything is recyclable. Um, we make sure that we compost our scraps. Um, as little waste as possible, and then profit. Profit is last, but yeah. <laughs> so then, all of this sounds expensive. Yes, what is expensive. a price point? I mean, you had me at organic, right? And now we're talking about all this stuff. Yeah, I com- mean, compostable yeah. and um, and, and you're like, sheltering. You know, you're you're kind of rehabilitating some people yeah, to an extent. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're doing a lot of good, and you're still making a profit. That's yeah. amazing. Making it's, a profit without paying myself. Let's say. <laughs> oh, yes. <sir. laughs> yes sir. So I so I still have not taken a, a complete salary yet. Um, okay. So every time that I'm able to take a salary, I always say, "Oh, maybe we should hire somebody else. Maybe we should hire another employee." Like my mother, she worked for 18 months free, and when I we were able to pay, she was going to be the first person I pay. She's like, "No, hire your employee. No, hire an employee." Um, and so for me, I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not. I don't. So let's say. I haven't taken a salary. Like, I don't get paid $500, $600 a week or anything like that. It is, maybe I'll get $100 this month. Maybe I'll get $200 this month. 
it's it, it never knows because all the things have to be done first. We might need a warning on this podcast, like might cause tears. Because <laughs> I'm over here just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a truly philanthropic business. Yeah. I mean, at, at the cost. I mean, at, at the cost of your, you know, own yeah. financial well being. <laughs> but and so it's funny because Michelle, who's my wife and a co-owner, she's a MSW, so she's a social worker. So all these ideals come from her. Like, oh, we have to be part of. We have to be welcome to the community. We have to do this. Like, vegan was nothing that I wanted to do. I fought it for two years. It was not something that I wanted. I feel like butter and eggs should be in everything that you make. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It just doesn't make sense to make it without it. Um, but cus- customers was asking for vegan. And Michelle said, well, we said we were a customer. We're going to be for the community. So they want vegan. So you got to figure out how to make vegan. And so you're like, fine. Oh, dang it. Yes, let's figure it out. Um, and our vegan stuff sells out faster than our non-vegan stuff. And our non-vegan non-vegan customers will buy our vegan stuff before our vegan people. So we had wow. one customer, a couple customers say to us, you have to start asking people, are they vegan? Because if they're not vegan, they can't buy the vegan carrot cake. Because <laughs> when I come in, it's not here no more. That's fascinating. I mean, that's really a, a sign of that's something we've been working through as we're getting ready to open this pizza place and just understanding, you know, I'd look at Street View is on and I wasn't able to be here, but thinking about the mission statement that it's not their mission statement, but when I see it, I think like making veganism mainstream and like seeing the success that they've had has made me stop and think to myself, I never, as much as fast food as I've eaten in my lifetime, I never stopped to think about how somebody else might not have had, I'm not going to call it the privilege or the fun of eating fast food because it probably has Flexibility. Hasn't done yeah. You yeah. Know, mm-hmm. But like, you know, they, yeah, there hasn't been that same thing for them. And now it's like, you know, it's so in the city particularly like so um growing like prevalent and growing yes. and it's mm-hmm. like you know you not only can you not ignore it and we've tried to internalize that at our restaurants to the best of our ability to think like it's not something anymore that you're just like oh here's our menu like what can we do if this person comes in and they happen to be vegan or vegetarian right, right. it's like how can here's we create yeah how can yeah. we create like really cool things uh, you know, for, for them, right. yeah, because it's, it's, intentionally, it's yeah, right. intentionally mm-hmm. as like, we're not just, you know, it's not an afterthought, but it's how can we actually uh, reach this market and like create, you know, cool things and things of value. And right. um, that's been fascinating for me to watch. So, and I'm in no way shape or form. I'm like, I'm going to start experimenting when I get back from vacation, like once a day, just like eat vegan. Cause I'm a old school meat and potatoes and exactly. hardcore, you know, my, my family's from the deep South and, uh, big plates and so um yeah that's a but it's but it's fun to watch yeah it's fun to watch people else do it have you had fun making that shift to, to testing vegan baked goods like are, are, do you like them now oh i'm sorry i've never eaten any of them <laughs> no, 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 no. no 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 so i'll make something vegan and i'll post it on social media like hey i made this vegan chocolate chip cookie like a couple of weeks ago we did that i made this vegan chocolate chip cookie come in and try it people come in we sample it to them they try it they like it we put it on the menu if they don't then we figure something else out but no i've not have not tried it yeah i need eggs and butter i need eggs and butter Yes. That's Appreciate where the NBA came in, though, because you recognize that market <laughs> Right, segment. yeah, exactly. You're like, like, okay, so let's do this. Yeah. yeah. But not for me, though. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, how, how much 
you guys do a lot of like uh, birthday cakes and stuff like that for so people? So we do a lot of birthday cakes. We do a lot of catering. Our catering is definitely what what um, sustains us. Um, so if you like, you were asking like, how do we do this? Our catering is what really sustains us. So we do. So when we first started, we were doing like maybe two percent, three percent, and then year three we started like twenty seven percent. Now we're like at fifty three percent of our business comes from catering. Is that including delivery? Um, nope, that is nope. That's that's, that's a total separate. Wow. That's a total separate. So yeah. catering then would be like outside. So it would be like you placing an order for maybe trays or breakfast treats, and we just dropping it off. So that requires only the bakers as far as staffing, uh-huh. because then no one has to stay there and retail it to you. Um, so that that gives us a higher profit margin. Um, usually it is a higher price point because usually someone comes to the bakery they might spend five dollars. Catering is a minimum of two hundred dollars minimum. And so if I'm doing that, and then we have like two great accounts with Quicken Loans, what we do there, birthday cakes and cupcakes each month. So that's 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 forty five to five thousand dollars a month right there, yep. just from just from them alone. Um, so our catering is definitely what sustains us right now. This is like Oprah calling up and saying, "I want some some cupcakes." <laughs> yeah, it's um, gonna happen <laughs> soon. So you, you are. Uh, there's a lot of talk in Detroit about the 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 growth of business and all that. The new business is coming in. Um, you're a black female, which kind of checks off both of the boxes. That, and that, gay. So black and gay, gay female. Like black gay female. So three. not vegan. Not, not vegan. vegan. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the argument is that the vast majority of business coming into the city are white, male-owned. Yes. So uh, has there been any struggle for you starting up or continuing on, or has it been uh, – is it positive and negative? Like how has it yeah. how has it been for you? So there, so it's, there's been positive and there's of course been negative. And the positive is is that we got in early, um, so we got in we got in at the beginning of any type of like the resources and programming that they had in the city of Detroit. We were part of the initial start of that. Like the um, DGC Revolve program was a grant money that we received when we first opened. Um, and because we we're part of that, we were able to like have conversations, sit down conversations with the mayor when he took office about the needs of that African American business owners in Detroit was lacking, so that they were able to put together some resources for African American business in the city of Detroit. Right? And but, do you feel like that's being covered? Um, to an extent. Okay. To an extent, um, it's not as easy as they make it sound to sure. utilize those resources. Um, so let's say he's listening. Is there yes. something that would help? And I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. You don't have to. If uh, just uh, yeah. So if 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 he was if the mayor was listening to this, I would say to him that the resources that he's offering are wonderful, but it requires more. Mm-hmm. And when I say more, I don't say it requires more money, anything like that. It requires the technical assistance that comes with the money. Mm-hmm. So you're giving the money to people, but you're not you're not setting them up to win. You're giving them money to open the door so that you can take pictures and show on the news and the PR that we're opening business with African-American businesses. But then go talk to those businesses six months when they close because they didn't have the technical assistance to know how to utilize that money. They didn't have working capital to continue the business. You gave them the money to open the doors, but you didn't show them how they were supposed to make money to work, have working capital. Mm-hmm. That it requires more than just the $50,000 that you're giving them to open the doors. So I would just say that they need more technical assistance and more follow through with once people open the, open the doors. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that, and as, as someone who's successful at this point, what, what advice do you give to people that, 
do people come to you to ask for advice on oh, opening yeah. a business? Mm-hmm. So what advice do you give to them? So there are several things. So I am also um, a bill f- facilitator now. So I actually teach the eight-week course we build um, at the bakery. So that happens on Wednesday nights from 6 o'clock until 9 o'clock, um, eight weeks out. So we teach three times a year at the bakery. So we do a lot at the bakery. <laughs> but I tell people that. Is that open to anybody or like. So you, you have to sign up for the cl- course. Okay. Um, and then when you sign up, you have like four or five different options on where you want to take the class uh-huh. at. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always tell people two things. You have to have a business plan. Um, it doesn't have to be 100%. It has to be 80 pages or anything like that. My first business plan was 12 pages and it was a PowerPoint. And it worked for me um, because I still had all of the things and it needed to be in there. Um, a business plan and making sure that you're bit that it's a business that you want and just not a hobby. You have to be able to show how you're going to make money. And so I always tell people, don't jump into opening a storefront. That might not be that might not be the thing for you. Figure out doing pop ups is how you figure that out. Doing pop ups in different neighborhoods and different areas to figure out what area needs you and talking to the community to see what they do. They want they want you there. Do they need you there? Because if the community isn't buying into you, you're not going to survive. You can't survive in Detroit just being a destination spot. You have to be welcome. The community has to welcome and embrace you and want you there for you to survive in Detroit. And one of the things you said was that you, you give priority to people in the neighborhood mm-hmm. for hiring and um, returning citizens. Correct. Um, Which is huge. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think there's a huge struggle with a lot of the new businesses opening that that they claim that like it's hard to hire from within the city. Um, wh- why do you think that is, first of all? And then secondly, how can people, how can these new businesses hire more from the neighborhood? So two things is, it is hard to hire. It is it is definitely hard to hire in the city of Detroit. And it's not because you don't have, the talent isn't there, the skill set isn't there. It's because there's so many new restaurants open in Detroit. Mm. That competition. I can, it's, it's the competition and it's the thing is that, because there are so many restaurants and food establishments open in the city that the the bar is very low for entry, right? So I can start working at your your place today, don't like something that you say, or don't like the fact that I got to work on a Saturday evening, and I can quit. And Tuesday, I got a new job. So it's not like before where it was employment was scarce in restaurant, and so you had a job, you had to adjust your life to your schedule, Nowadays, it's adjusting your work schedule. You need to adjust their schedule, your schedule, according to their lifestyle. To the employee's lifestyle. Right. Okay. Instead of the other way around where yeah. an employee would adjust their lifestyle to when they work. So I got to work on Saturday nights, so maybe I go out on Sundays, or maybe I go out on Friday nights. But mm-hmm. now it's like, no, I want a job where I can be off on Saturday nights. I might want to be off on Fridays, too. I might only want to work two hours on Saturdays. And so they want an employee, employment that can do those things for them. And there's so much employment out it there. It is. There's so many, so much employment, and it's because there's such a short, because all most food establishments in Detroit are short staffed, that they are like, yes, I'll hire you right now, and then you set up people for interviews. They come in for the interview, and then they don't show up to work, and so it's just because they have so many options. Oh, this job is going to pay me five cent more, so I'm going to go work there. So, if other businesses want to hire um, re-entering people, mm-hmm. what what would you what advice would you give them? So two things is is that make sure that your space is a welcoming space, not a judgment space. Like so we had worked with the city that city had, last year or the year before the city had a program where they like connected you with reentering citizens. And so they would they asked like what type of city what type of felony can they have? To me that they kept any felony. I didn't care. Only thing I asked for is not have someone sexual um sexual mm-hmm. assault because I have minors who work there. 
Right. That was the only thing. Other than that, I don't want to know what they I don't want to know what they what they were in jail for. They went to jail. They served their time. So I don't I don't want to know. Um, so making sure that your space is welcome and you can go talk to the parole officers. That's what I did. I went to the parole officers and it, and, and developed a relationship with them. And so they sent me people. And then my son was incarcerated. So his people was coming out of jail. He would tell them, oh, go my mama hire you. Go go get a job, my mama. People would come up like, oh, Brandon sent me to you. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? And then they'll come in that morning. Then Brandon will call me later like, oh, such and such guy is going to come see you today. I told him you was going to hire him. <laughs> yeah. Does he get a referral bonus? <laughs> no, he does not. <laughs> As I spit whiskey. <laughs> okay, so where can people find out more about Good Cakes and Bakes? So you can find us at our website, which is goodcakesandbakes.com, all of our social media, which is Good Cakes and Bakes on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or you can come to our bakery, which is at 19363 Livernoy, which is on Avenue of Fashion between Seven Mile and Outer Drive. And then what about the new locations? Are there any projected date? Um, June, end of June should be. Yeah. So summer. Yes, summer. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yes. April, thank you so much for being thank with us. Thank you for having me. Uh, once again, 100th episode. Yeah, Woo-hoo! congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Until next time, dine well, friends.